0: Thank you for joining us for Working Through the Word, a ministry of the Richmond Church of Christ. Let's join our pulpit minister, Mike Johnson, as he brings today's lesson. Turn to Genesis chapter 4. And as we have been considering today, what happened with Cain and Abel and what God said to Cain. This morning we noticed from verse 6, It's desire, sin's desire, is for you. Tonight, you should rule over it. The word rule here means to dominate, to take charge over, to be in control, to say that any one of us is able to control fully sin's approach would be an ignorant statement because we can't. We're going to fail. But that doesn't mean that we don't have a high standard. That doesn't mean that we don't have a goal. And so God is dealing with Cain and saying something to all of us. Don't let it control you. You control it. But I want you to notice as we think about this concept of you should rule over it. I want to go back and look at how it unfolds one more time. And notice how God was working with Cain, helping him to rule over it by offering him an opportunity to reverse As the story unfolds, when Cain and Abel offered their sacrifices, God accepted one and not the other. I had mentioned in our class on Wednesday night on this topic, in case you are not aware of what likely seems to me is the case here. In the Old Testament times especially, God rained down fire from heaven as a sign. Maybe it was a sign of His power. Sometimes it was a sign that I have accepted this. More than once, in an offering or a sacrifice presented to the Lord, the Lord rained down fire to consume it, and everyone there knew that God, therefore, had taken it. He consumed it. God ate it, if you will, in the fire. And I believe... In this context that's what happened. I think that they both offered and God rained down fire on Abel's but not on Cain's. Now it leaves open the discussion of why it was that God didn't accept Cain's. We talked about it in depth on Wednesday night. And basically it's one of two things. Either he offered the wrong sacrifice, or he offered his sacrifice with the wrong attitude. Now you can decide which way you lean. I lean that he offered the wrong sacrifice. I think God had instructed the type of sacrifice that he wanted. And I lean that way. But the point is not to figure out what was the sacrifice. The point was to understand that Cain did not do what was right. God was watching him the whole time. God saw it. And as I said this morning, it's amazing to me that God would carry on a conversation with Cain and he'd lie to his face. That's just amazing to me. And so God said, I don't respect yours. In that sign, God showed it. God was watching him all the time. But then notice, if you will, why are you angry? God gave him a chance to back up. Whatever Cain did that disrespected God, God gave him a chance to back up. Put it in reverse. He said, why are you angry? Do what's right and I will respect you too." Yes, Cain sinned. Yes, we all sinned. But God said, you can back up from there. But Cain did not back up. Cain went farther. In fact, he had a discussion with his brother. I was reading it again today and thinking with myself in verse number 8. Now Cain talked with Abel his brother and it came to pass. Those terminologies sound to me like a period of time. It doesn't sound like the situation was God accepted Abel's sacrifice Cain immediately got angry and flew into a rage and murdered his brother. Doesn't sound like that to me. And if you watch enough of the crime shows, you know that there are different levels of murder charges based upon, based upon, in cold blood, or the heat of the moment. It appears to me that Abel was murdered in cold blood. In other words, time passed. I I don't know how long he talked with his brother. I don't know how long it was from the sacrifice to the murder, but it seems like a lot of time because here is Cain stewing in his own juices. He had a chance to reverse It didn't happen immediately. Therefore, he had a chance to back up. Talk to his brother. That's exactly the right way to go when you have a problem with someone, right? Go see them. Talk to them. So apparently... Whether that was his intention or not, which obviously it seemed not to have been, it started out as a good idea. I've got a problem. Abel let you and I talk. He could have said to Abel, can you help me? I know you're my little brother. But obviously God appreciated what you did. I want to learn from you. I want you to help me to be appreciated by God. He could have done that. You think Abel would have helped him? Guarantee he would have. Cain had a chance to back up again. But no, he murdered his brother. Where's your brother? I don't know. God gave him a chance again. Now we've got a third chance. You offer the wrong sacrifice, now do good. Good. You're angry, let's fix it. Where's your brother? Don't let your anger control you. Where's your brother? For the third time, God says, put it in reverse, okay? Just admit what happened. Let's deal with it. But instead, he wants to run. Notice the scenario. Cain sinned. God said, Back up. Back up. Back up. Three times he worked with him. Now a fourth time. There are plenty of records in Old Testament scripture. Where God rained down fire from heaven, literally and figuratively, in immediate consequence of sin. Would we have been surprised if God said, okay, that's enough. Rain down fire, Cain's gone. Open up the ground. Cain is gone. Would we have been surprised? No. That happens many times in Scripture. But now God says here are the consequences. This is what I'm going to do. This is what you're going to put up with. And for the fourth time God is on Cain's side. God I can't do this. This is too tough fine. That's fine. Here's a sign that nobody's going to kill you. They're going to hate me, Lord, because you're going to throw me out. Fine. I'll make sure they don't hurt you. They don't kill you. Again, as I said this morning, I don't know what the sign was. I don't particularly believe that it was some kind of a mark. I just don't. But I think it was a sign Personally, I'm moved by the idea that it was some kind of sign shown only to Cain in a miraculous fashion so that Cain would go forward with the assurance and the knowledge no matter who finds me, they're not going to kill me because God's already said so. That's what I choose to believe four times. God's on his side. And still, verse 16, he left the presence of the Lord. He started a path back here when he offered the sacrifice that was not accepted by God. Four times God had him an opportunity to reverse the path. But no, he decided to stay on it. And in the same way that his sacrifice was in opposition to God. The final words we hear about him were, he left the presence of God. And then we saw this morning what that led to in his family. That's what happened. When God said, if you want to rule over sin, Cain, I'm going to give you four chances. So what is God saying to me? How can I rule over sin? Because it doesn't matter how well you can aim anything. Just take a small little pebble and throw it in this room, and you're going to hit somebody who sinned. So, every one of us needs to know how to rule over sin. I can take that same pebble and I can throw it with my eyes closed and I'll hit somebody who's struggling with sin and who is saying, I don't want to anymore. I don't want this feeling. So how, God, am I going to rule over sin instead of it ruling over me? Well, from this context, I see these things. One, See the all-seeing eye. How many times can you remember as a kid looking around to see if mom or dad is watching before you do something? How many times do you remember one of your children doing that? Why? There's something innate about us that You know, we want to hide when things aren't good. Now, there are people who don't fit that rule, but generally speaking, what happened the minute Adam and Eve sinned? They hid. If we want to rule over sin, we have to be convinced of the all-seeing eye of God. You remember when Hagar and Abram had that illicit relationship set up by his own wife. And then she was upset when she had a child and kicked her out into the desert. Well, God was taking care of her, Hagar, and came to her to help her. And in Genesis 16 and verse 13, she said, in speaking to him, she said in the Hebrew language, El Boi, the God who sees. She was saying, he's seeing me in my trouble. But that also means he sees her in every aspect of life, and God sees us. And in this text, God said, To Cain, I see you. And he knew it well. He knew it well because he saw the fire of God. Number two, if you want to rule over sin, don't let one sin become more sins. We're all going to sin, we're all going to have a problem, we're all going to fall. And God is telling Cain, don't just compound sin on top of sin. Stop it. Don't let one sin morph into greater sin. That's why he kept saying, reverse it, come on back. You remember John 8 in the story of the woman taken in adultery? When the men finally left her, having accused her by the Jewish law, bringing only her, not both of them, in an adulterous situation to be charged by Jesus. They're challenging him. They are trying to trip him up. And he said, fine, whoever is without sin, there's the theme, cast the first stone. And after they had all left, you remember what he said to the woman? Go and sin no more. Go sin no more. Don't add sin to sin. Did he absolve her saying that that wasn't sin that she was, had done? Did he say, don't worry about it, it's not a big deal? No. He just said, stop and go in reverse. And don't add sin to sin. By the way, is it possible that this is the same woman who washed Jesus' feet before he died? Huh. I think that's an interesting possibility. And she took his advice don't add sin. To sin. But then back in this text, what happened when Cain realized the situation? Here's the principle have a reaction in the proper direction. Cain took out his anger on his brother, it wasn't his brother's fault. It wasn't his fault. When he said to him, I'm talking to you, and all of a sudden he reaches out and he destroys him. He kills him. Why? Because he's angry. And his reaction is in the wrong direction. Now contrast that with another man who committed murder. And he said, I acknowledge my transgressions. My sin is always before me. Against you, you only have I sinned and done this evil in your sight. That you may be found just when you speak and blameless when you judge. Psalm 51, 3 and 4. David had a reaction to his problem, but his reaction was in the proper direction. He's caught, and he lied. He's caught, but he doesn't need to be trapped. Luke 22 and verse 61 some of the most powerful words in Scripture because I can put myself in that position and I can feel I think what Peter felt when he denied Jesus. Luke records and Jesus looked at him. can't hide, can you? We think we can. Peter was caught. But he wasn't trapped. Judas was caught. And he considered it a trap. No way out. So I'll just kill myself. Peter was caught. But he didn't think of it as a trap. In fact, he said, This day, most assuredly, God has made known Jesus Christ, whom you crucified. He is Lord and Christ. When he preached that first sermon in Acts 2, the denier became the confessor. Because being caught was not the same as being trapped. Finally, consequences don't have to be a cemetery. The consequences of sin don't have to be a cemetery where you're buried, you die, it's over, it's finished, you can't ever come back. In 2 Samuel 24, David and we don't even know why, except the Bible says Satan moved him to do it. Decided on his own, I want to get a count of how many fighting men I have. I tend to believe part of it is because he's in advanced age. He doesn't seem to have as much physical power as he used to have. Maybe that's what he's doing. And in the last years of his reign as king... He did this for himself, obviously. God was angry. And God said to him, You've sinned. Now there has to be punishment. And I'll give you these things. Here's what can happen in punishment. What do you want? And I love his response in verse 14. I'll put my hand, I'll put myself in the mercy of the God of heaven. He'll do right. In other words, whatever consequences come because of sin, they should. I'm guilty. It's my fault. I'll let you decide, Lord, because you're in charge. And then we learn in Acts 13 that he is the man of God's own heart. Because his consequences did not bury him. His consequences were not his death. If I want to rule over sin, these are the principles that I have to adopt. Listen to God's sin rules. I think they can be summarized In two verses, you can get out before you ever get in. There is no temptation overtaking you, but that which is common to all men. God will not allow you to be tempted above that which you are able to bear, but will with the temptation also provide a way of escape that you might be able to bear it. Sometimes we look at the first part. No temptation that you can't bear. And we try to figure that out. We help ourselves by saying, well, I'm going through a lot. God must really like me. Must think highly of me. I think we should connect that part to the last part. There is no temptation taking you. But God will provide a way of escape. In other words, it's not too great for you to handle because there is a way of escape. If you don't take it, it is too tough to handle. You will fail. I will fail. Get out before you get in. But his second rule of sin is you can still get out after you've been in. If we say we have no sin, we lie and do not practice the truth. If you confess me, or if you confess your sins, God is faithful and just to forgive sins and cleanse us From all unrighteousness, 1 John 1, 9 and 10. Sin is tough. I've been fighting a losing battle all my life. And I think you've been fighting losing battles too. But there really are only two points to remember. Try to get out before you get in, but when you get in, get out. Because God takes back everybody. That sin, that sin that can't be forgiven, let me help you. I don't believe it can be committed today. I don't think it's possible to commit today. The sin of blasphemy against the Holy Spirit that Jesus talked about, I think was a sin that, Involved those people at that time seeing the power of God on display in miraculous forms and instead of accepting that it was God doing it, they said, Ah, you're teaming up with the devil. Think about this. I would thought about this before. When they said to Jesus, You're teaming up with the devil to do this? They were actually making the devil more powerful than God. They couldn't believe, they didn't want to accept that God was doing it, so they gave Satan the power that was even greater than God's. They were more willing to say this is Satan doing this work than it is God doing this work. So I don't think that particular sin can be committed today. But now 1 John 5 says... If you see your brother commit a sin not unto death, you can pray for him and be forgiven. But I tell you not to pray for the sin unto death. Those aren't the two same sins. I tell you what that sin is. If a brother or sister sins and they refuse to repent, I should not pray for God to forgive them. I don't say, God, I don't care if they don't want to repent. I don't care if their heart is hard. I want you to save them. That's exactly what all of those who teach that finally, someday, everybody will be in heaven. It's called universalism. They're actually saying God's going to forgive everybody regardless of whether they've repented or not. I can't pray for that. I can pray for them to have a heart of wanting to repent. I can pray for opportunities to help. But those two sins are not the same. I don't care what anybody has done today in the past or will do in the future. God does not finally write you off if you're willing to get out once you've been in. Hope we've been helped today by this message about Cain and Abel uh, to get some peace, some assurance, some intention as we deal with sin. Tonight, if we can help you, let these people pray for you. We sing for your encouragement. Let's stand together. We hope you enjoyed today's broadcast brought to you by the Richmond Church of Christ.